the best in the world. I've been the best ever since day one on this microphone, in that ring, even in commentary. And trust me when I tell you, I am the hottest property in this industry today. Nobody can touch me. The only thing that's real is me, day in and day out. I am the best in the world. Do I have everybody's attention now? What up, people? Welcome to a special edition of the Salty Thoughts of Donnie U podcast. Featuring the one and only Donnie U. Best of what, what he does. This edition is special for one reason and one reason only. I done reached the number 50. That's right. This is my 50th episode. This is my 50th edition of my Salty Thoughts. I done reached a half a century. I reached a half a man. <laughs> yeah. So what I was planning on doing with this episode and what's going to make it so super, so special, is I'm going to give y'all like so much recording time today and tomorrow. I'm actually going to record this in two days. So right now, as I currently speak, today is Thursday. I'm going to record half of this today i'm going to record half of this tomorrow and then i'm going to upload it on time yeah i figure you know for such an anniversary i gotta make sure i come correct it's going to be so packed with all your favorites you know the favorites that i talk about you know my knicks eight straight baby my mets Lost two in a row. I'm going to talk about the Yankees, even though I don't give a fuck about the Yankees. I'm going to talk about the Yankees. I'm going to talk about the gentrification nets. I'm going to talk about the upcoming NFL draft. And I'm going to actually give y'all that long-awaited, never-recorded WrestleMania recap. All in one episode. And then sprinkling whatever else I feel like sprinkling in. Because... Hey, it's a celebration, baby. It's an anniversary. It's an anniversary. I'm not going to be concerned that much about time. Because normally I'm like, oh, just going too long. Oh, just, you know, uh, maybe I'll say that for next week. Fuck that. I ain't saving shit. Because tomorrow ain't promise. Tomorrow ain't promise to no one. So I'm going to blow my load. Which is something that I actually need to do because I got about five more weeks of my earth recuperating happy earth day yeah so that's what i plan on having on deck today i don't know how it's gonna go but as all your listeners know i never know how this shit's gonna go i never planned this shit out i have a couple points that i know i need to touch on and then i just sprinkle my salt all over the damn place and that's what i'm going to give you i'm going to give you all the extra special lowry's edition so uh y'all already know the routine buckle up enjoy the ride and uh let's get this shit on the road good night
and goodbye. Bang! You know, there's one more topic that I actually forgot to include in my intro that I'm going to talk about and discuss. I'm going to discuss this past Tuesday's 420 edition of Versus with Method Man and Red Man. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to enjoy it. Reason being, not so much that I don't like the two artists that performed, because those are pretty much two of my favorite artists, Method Man and Red Man. Red Man, pretty much, uh, I'll say he's maybe about a couple rings higher on my favorites, but Method Man is in the discussion. The reason I say uh, I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to do, going to is because at the very beginning, because I was tapped in, I was tuned in. At the very beginning, you know, I'm watching it, and I'm like, all right, it's cool, it's cool. But it wasn't really a versus. It wasn't really a versus. It was more of a concert, which I have no problem with. You know, they were going back and forth, and, 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 and they was cracking jokes, and... You know, it's high energy. And uh, I loved it at the end. At the beginning, uh, it was a little bumpy, but um, it was what it was. But yeah, I'm going to talk about that too. <laughs> like I told y'all, I told y'all, this shit going to be bumpy. This shit going to be bumpy like people who don't put alcohol on their cheeks after they shave. And when you get those razor bumps looking like herpes on the neck. Yeah, it's going to be that type of bumpy. So, yeah. <laughs> Listen on. The New York Knicks are in fourth place currently in the Eastern Conference. If the playoffs ended today, the Knicks will be hosting a playoff series. The New York Knicks are currently on an eight-game winning streak. The longest such streak that the franchise has had in seven years. 2014 to be exact. Which, coincidentally, was the last year that Mike Woodson was head coach of the team. Coincidentally, the last year that the Knicks was somewhat relevant. The New York Knicks are your team of New York. Are my team of New York. Now, since we got all that out the way, Julius Randle, during these eight games, is averaging close to 30 a game, averaging about 10 rebounds a game, and six assists. He should be in the MVP race. He isn't, but he should be. Because by definition, and definition only, MVP means most valuable player. 
emphasis on valuable. Not the best player, not the most outstanding player, the most valuable player. And far be it for me to uh, even come up with another player that's comparable to Julius Randle in his value to his team. Now, normally I would start saying, well, you know, it's because of the Knicks bias. In this case, it's not necessarily because of the Knicks bias or the bias against the Knicks. It's because it's because are you fucking kidding me? You know, the one bad thing about doing a fucking podcast on your phone is when you're in the middle of fucking recording your session and the phone rings and you lose your train of thought. Matter of fact, you don't even lose your train of thought, but you're trying to cut the ringer off and you can't cut the ringer off because you're fucking recording on the app. And then you have to stop said recording, get on the phone, have a conversation, and then get asked why maybe you're in a rush to get off the phone. Because I'm in the middle of recording a fucking podcast. So where the fuck was I? Oh, yeah. The New York Knicks. I was talking about Julius Randle being the MVP of the NBA this season. And whether or not there was a bias against the Knicks because he was in the MVP discussion. And in this case, no, I don't believe there's a bias against the Knicks. It's a bias against just pretty much star star players in the league. It's like once you get a little bit of a fucking resume, if anybody comes up during that season and shows and proves, it's like this shit don't even fucking matter. Why? Because, well, MVPs was damn near chosen at the beginning of the fucking season. Case in point. For the beginning of the season, it pretty much was a foregone conclusion that LeBron James was going to be in the MVP discussion. Now, you have Damian Lillard, who's actually having an MVP quality season, and he's not even getting a fucking sniff of consideration. You have um, Jokic of the Denver Nuggets having a damn good fucking season, excellent season, if I may say so myself. And on the NBA uh, TV, what should I say, the NBA programs that's on TV, such as the Jump, they're pretty much trying to discount why Jokic should be in the in the fucking consideration, in the discussion. You have Brian Winhorse talking about, well, you know, LeBron, 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 LeBron has fucking missed three weeks so far. 
And when he was playing, yeah, he was, he was fucking LeBron. But that doesn't mean LeBron has to fucking win every fucking season. LeBron has like, what, four fucking MVPs? Does he need another one? I mean, this is... One of my least players in the least favorite players in the league is Chris Paul. I just don't particularly care for him. Now, or because I don't care for him and don't particularly like him, I'm not going to say he's not MVP worthy. I mean, look at what the fuck he's done since he's gotten to the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns was a fledgling franchise for the last couple of years. Matter of fact, probably for the last decade and, and change since Steve Nash left. Um, yeah, they went a perfect 8-0 and in the bubble last season, the end of last season. And they carried that momentum in. But the missing piece turns out to be Chris Paul. Chris Paul has unlocked um, Aiton, the center of the Phoenix Suns. He's unlocked Devin Booker who's been a perennial filling all-star the last couple years. Monty Williams is getting coach of the year consideration, which he should. But uh, that doesn't mean that the players not named LeBron James, not named what, Kawhi Leonard, not named Anthony Davis, not named James Harden shouldn't get consideration for being MVP. I mean, there was real strong consider. There was strong talk when um, James Harden first got to the Nets and how well he was playing. And the fact that, yo, you know, James Harden is, pl- is, on a, is playing at MVP level. Yeah, he might be playing at MVP level, but that doesn't mean that he should be in the consideration. Let us not forget what he did in Houston to get out of Houston. And I've said on this podcast that all the visions of anarchy and chaos in Brooklyn, when Harden decided to force his way to Brooklyn, those never came to pass. Harden Harden was playing his ass off before he got hurt. But should he have really been, quote unquote, the front runner? at the time of his injury for being an MVP? When you have that fucking team, when that team that plays in the Barclays Center, downtown in gentrified Brooklyn, when that team already has Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, even though Kevin Durant wasn't playing? And you mean to tell me James Harden was the front runner at the time of his injury? Fuck out of here. Look at what the Knicks have done. This is their roster, to the best of my memory. Because like I've told y'all before, plenty time and time and time and time and time again, my memory is beyond fucked up. But here's their roster. You have Noel, backup center. You have 35-year-old Taj Gibson, whose best days were in Chicago with a prime prime matter of fact mvp d rose oh yeah by the way d rose is on our team we got the rookie emmanuel quickly we got the rookie obi Toppin. we got 
Frank Nilakina. We have Alec Burks. We have Reggie Bullock. These are all cast off from other teams. All these dudes are playing on one-year contracts because they wanted to stay in the league. The Knicks was giving up the money, and they decided to come. 95% of this roster was the same fucking roster from last year. But Julius Randle, in combination with Tom Thibodeau, who, by the way, should be coach of the year, galvanized this unit. And they play as one. 15 people on the roster playing as one. And where the fuck has that got us? To the number four fucking seed. Happy days are here again. Don't let the little aggravation and anger in my voice fool you or dissuade you from how I truly feel about this team. I'm not going to lie. The last two to three years, I've always been a Knicks fan. I'll always claim to be a Knicks fan. But the last two or three years, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't really fucking with this team but so much. I turn on MSG when I'm home. I watch the game or I attempt to watch the game. And within the first 15, 20 minutes of my viewing pleasure, I'm like, Yo, you know what? Fuck this team. And I cut it off. I see the fucking notification come on my on my phone. Let me know. Guess what? Knicks lose again. But I, but I come to grips with that shit. That's why against my against my loyal loyal nature. I officially said, you know what? I got another team too. I got a side team. I got the Warriors. Who I ain't going to talk about today. Even though Steph <laughs> fucking 10 games dropping over 30. The last five, he was averaging like 43 a game. But I ain't going to talk about the Warriors today. This is going to be about my Knicks. Do you know what sense of pleasure, what sense of pride comes over my being when I turn on a Knicks game nowadays and they're down by five and I continue to watch and even though I'm, I'm they might not end up winning the game I see effort I see maximum effort I see grit and I see individuals on that court that aren't just looking at the Knicks as, yo, I'm just going to be over here for a couple years, collect this bread, and then when my contract's up, then I'm going to start playing basketball again. Because that's how it's been for at least 20 years. I'm going to come up with about five players that played on the Knicks that the majority of y'all motherfuckers probably never knew played on the Knicks. <sighs> Number one, Penny Hardaway. Yeah, Penny Hardaway was a New York Knick. Number two, the franchise, Steve Francis. Yes, Steve Francis was a New York Knick. Number three, Tracy McGrady. A lot of motherfuckers didn't know. Tracy McGrady actually was a New York Knick and dropped about 30 in two consecutive games before his knees just said, you know what, Tracy, <laughs> it's a wrap. 
So that's what, three? Yeah, that's three. Shit. I done lost count. But those are three players <laughs> that was on the New York Knicks that you probably never knew. And you know why they were on the New York Knicks? Because the New York Knicks, at a time, at that time, we were looking for any name player, whether they either had game anymore or not. We was looking for any name player to put on our uniform to entice people, or should I say, yeah, to entice people to come to the garden and spend their well-earned money. And a lot of times, yeah, you, you spent your well-earned money for the ambience, for the atmosphere, because the damn sure wasn't the fucking game that was playing on the court. But now, like I said, now, I'm just so... Scratch that. Now, the Knicks, to me, have galvanized this city. All the New York Knicks fans that was laying in wait, that have been quiet, over the last couple years, we're coming out. Coming out the woodworks. Not the, not, not the turncoats that went over to Brooklyn the last couple years. Not the ones that said, you know what? Yo, I'm not even a Knicks fan. I'm a such and such fan. And then all of a sudden they're coming back on the bandwagon. Nah. Nah. They ain't going to rock over here. At all. Throughout the history of this podcast, not one person could ever say that I abandoned my New York Knicks. I still talked about the New York Knicks. I talked about the Fisdale experiment. I wasn't really keen on getting Julius Randle. Matter of fact, I didn't mind the move, but if I saw that spin move in the paint where he gets stripped mid-spin, if I saw that this year, it would have been a wrap. I would have been like, you know what? Fuck. Get him off my team and go and go figure. He's the fucking MVP of the team, and he should be at least top three in MVP consideration of the league. Think of the job that Leon Rose has done. Think of the job that World Wide West has done. Think of the job. The amazing, the amazing job that coach Tom Thibodeau has done. And I wasn't really keen on that move either. Call Spade a Spade. I was like, yo, Tibbs, all right, he been out of the league a couple years, didn't go great in Minnesota, he gonna overwork the players, I don't know. But guess what? While all those things might have been true, the proof is in the pudding. We're in an eight-game winning streak. We're six games above 500. And we're in a number four seed currently in the Eastern Conference. And he's done it his way. Guess who leads the league in minutes? Played in the NBA. Julius Randle. And he's still going strong. He's also only 26 years old. Also, he I think he's up for... He's up for an extension, or he should be offered an extension. Poor Obi Toppin, he was drafted with the intention of flipping Julius Randle, but Julius has shown and proved so much 
Can't get rid of him. Can't let him go. You'd be a fucking ass to let him go. So Obi, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you need to find the force to find to tell you where you're going to play next. Cause I don't think you're gonna get any burn. At least not for the rest of this season. Next season, you know, or the off season, he better get in the gym, work on his jumper, work on his handle, work on some post moves. And work on not looking so shook when he's on the fucking court. Because as soon as you show a little bit of weakness, Tibbs is taking you the fuck about it. Like he did a couple weeks ago. We had like a 30-point lead, put OB in. Next thing you know, it got that chopped down to 18. He was like, no, 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 no. Jews, yo, back in. Jews like <laughs> Yeah, back in. Alright, coach. Yeah. But now I'm going to turn my attention to the Gentrification Nets. Who, by the way, are currently tied for the number one seed in the Eastern Conference with the Philadelphia 76ers. Slightly behind them are the Milwaukee Bucks. And then guess who's right behind the Milwaukee Bucks? That's right, the New York Knicks. Kevin Durant came back from his prolonged injury, prolonged absence due to an injury, played two games, and now he's dealing with a thigh contusion that they say is not too serious. And I believe he is questionable for today. I don't know if he played today or not, because guess what? I don't be paying attention to the fucking gentrification nets like that. But being the fact that uh, he was questionable... More likely that means he was out. Currently, there's about 12 to 13 games left to be played in the se- in the regular season. Yesterday, news came out that James Harden has suffered a setback in his engine hamstring, and more likely he was going to be ruled out for the duration of the regular season. To get him ready for the playoffs. Now when the playoffs start. If everything holds according to plan. When the playoffs start. The big three of the Nets. Harden. Kyrie. KD. We have only played seven games together. The whole season. Due to various injuries. And due to various leaves of absence. Now, you mean to tell me, and everybody is acting like this is fucking gospel, but you mean to tell me, if you was a fan of the gentrification nets, like I'm not, that you would feel totally comfortable with your team, with aspirations of an NBA championship this year, to enter the playoffs, with Pretty much your franchise players, your big three, only playing seven games together to go into the playoffs to potentially have to face both Milwaukee and Philadelphia? You you really think you would feel confident? I wouldn't. Also, something to think about. 
Steve Nash. Rookie head coach. And I guess his assistant slash captain, sergeant of arms, whatever the fuck you want to call him, Mike D'Antoni. D'Antoni has never made an NBA Finals. Ever. Steve Nash is a rookie. You have your three best players entering the playoffs only playing seven games together. Answer me this. If the Nets, with everything I just described, won a championship, do you think that would be great for the NBA? Or would it not be? Think of it this way. The reason I ask that is because if a team can go throughout the regular season and really have no care about whatever seeding they have, or they just come up with a with a with a plan of well, we got three we got three of the top ten players of the top ten players of the league, so we're just going to manage the regular season of all right, you know. KD and Kyrie, y'all play like 10 games together. Kyrie and Harden, y'all play like 15 games together. KD and Harden, y'all play about 20 games together. And we just going to piecemeal like that. And they win the, and win the championship. Is that good for the league? Or is that just setting a precedent? Of more teams are going to be thinking like that. Like, look, we don't give a fuck about the regular season. It's all about the playoffs. Which, I understand that train of thought. Because at the end of the day, you get paid for championships. Or at least that's how you're supposed to get paid by, you know. But if more teams in the league start doing that, and they're already complaining about low ratings, and when the arena is fully open up, which who knows when that's going to be, and you start having problems with attendance. I know if... I go to, matter of fact, if I go to Madison Square Garden, I'm not going to say the Barclays Center. I've been in there once, place is a dump. If I go to Madison Square Garden, yeah, I'm a Knicks fan. But let's, 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 which go, let's go back, let's say, two years ago when the Knicks sucked. But when the other marquee players in the league is coming to the garden that I want to see, and I spend my hard earned bread for me and, family members ago or me and my, my peoples ago and the day of I hear oh today because you know case in point Kyrie only played played last night and it's a, this is a back of a, uh, of a back to back back into the back to back Kyrie ain't playing and I wanted to go see Kyrie think I'm going to be happy If I go in another time, KD come into the garden. All right, fine. I'm going to play. I mean, I'm going I'm going to pay to go. And then day of KD is ruled out of the game for load management. Think I'm going to be happy? Think the next time a marquee player comes to the comes to the garden I'm going to 
willingly spend my well-earned bread? Now, if I feel that way, multiply that times 100. Then you multiply that times 30 teams. Get the picture? If the players are showing that they really could care less about playing the 82-game season, out of those 82 games, they're like, you know what? Pencil me in for 55. And the majority of the star players in the league do that. Do you think the fans are going to be happy? Do you think the paying customers are going to be happy? Do you think the people that tune on, turn on the TV to see said game is going to be happy? Or the next time that game comes on, you're like, you know what? They burnt me once. They burnt me twice. Fuck them. I'll find something else to do. You get the picture? Hope so. Now, I will say this. There's no amount of equality that you can... Matter of fact, there's no way you can equate your 9-to-5 job to an NBA or NFL play. You can't. There's no way you can't. Cause I hear a lot, a lot from the from the gallery. Well, you know, they getting paid all that bread. They need to play. They need to play all the time. I get that point of view, and I'm kind of contradicting myself for what I dispute in the last five, you know, for the prior five minutes. I'll say this: if the player is coming off a catastrophic injury, such as KD. All right, you need to load manage for that that season he returns. So you can get optimal return on your investment. I understand that. But at the same time, you can't put yourself in a millionaire or shoot, soon to be billionaire's shoes and tell them what you would do. Because if you had the same opportunity, I'm quite sure you would. Do you know how many times that my shoe job I want to fucking load manage? Yo, these people are getting on my nerves. Yo, I need about two days just to get my fucking mind right. I mean, we do so. Call sick days. <laughs> NBA players don't really have sick days. So, they make, they make do however they need to do to get their rest. Sometimes, it's maybe it's just a mental day. In the real world, in the NBA, when you say, for instance, Kyrie says, yo, I got some things going on. I need a, I need some time off. You should respect that. Like I've said in the past, I'm not going to talk so much about Kyrie in a negative, in a negative slant. Because I just feel like after a while, it just becomes like you're just piling on just to pile on because he's the easy target. But, uh, you know, and a lot of things he's doing is unconventional. Like a lot of people, you don't hear them just make a make it public like, look, yo, I need a couple days. I got some shit going on. And maybe it's due to the liberal nature of the Nets management that they just 
chose like, you know what? This is our investment to get optimum return on our investment. We need to keep Kyrie happy. So therefore, if Kyrie needs a couple days, fine. But he did that shit like three times this, this year. I.e., took a couple sick days. Took a vacation day. You know. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm actually gonna say some lingo that's actually going to blow up my shoot job. Or should I say blow up where I work for a living? Use a PLD. <laughs> and that brings us to the amazing New York Mets. Tonight, Jacob DeGrom, the DeGrominator. Complete game shutout. Two hit. 15 strikeouts. As the Mets win. The Mets win. The Mets win. Six zip. Gets the Washington Nationals. The Mets are currently eight and seven. And in first place of the NL East. This was an important game because we just got swept out of Chicago. Lost three straight. Got blown out in the in the middle game. I think we gave up like 13 to 16 runs. Something like that. And uh, lat, uh, yesterday when we lost against Chicago, we just booted the ball all, all over. And uh, we just really, really, really just gave up that game. We wasn't hitting in the clutch. I think one of the stats was like 143 with runners in scoring positions less um, with two outs, something to that effect. Um, I think we're close to dead last in the in the league with runners in scoring position with two outs. So uh, that's not great. You know what's so funny? Fact of I'm trying to give y'all stats like I'm a statistician, like I'm on some old what the hell you call it? I don't even know. Tell you the truth, I'm not gonna lie. In between takes, I'm home now, so I'm in my humble abode in the studio, in the secluded area of my house, and I partaking in celebrating this. 50th episode of the Salty Dr. Donnie Ooh. And um, the Henny is starting to hit the system. So if I'm starting to stutter over my words, forgive me, but you already know when it comes to the Henny flow. So either way, what I'm trying to say is the Mets right now, if we can just stay above water, the division is there. There's nobody that I'm really concerned about. Atlanta's going through their going through their problems. Um, Washington just can't hit. Uh, Miami is still kind of rocky down there, but with Madeline at you know at the helm, they should they're still going to be formidable. And I really feel that if we can just stay above water, maybe about five games above. Maybe that's more optimistic than um, feasible, but so be it. Which is funny because normally I'm not an optimist. I'm more of a pessimist, but that's neither here nor there. But um, if we can just like stay about three to five games above 500 and just hold the fort until Carrasco comes back, 
hold the fort until Syndergaard comes back. And then maybe make a move here and there to, you know, to really fortify the bullpen. I really, really, really have good, good vibes this season when it comes to the Mets. Um, not to shortchange my Masons, I'm going to transition to the Stankies. Yeah, that's right. The Yankees. Simply because of the fact that the moves, or shall I say the lack of moves that the Yankees have made over the last two to three years should be closely examined. Closely examined more than is actually being ha- actually happening. Case in point. Last year, even though it was a truncated season of 60 games, last year the New York Mets had Parcillo, and I believe they had Walker, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. And we was roundly criticized for those moves being the fact of everybody assumed, and technically they were right, about the real pawns penny pension, instead of going out to get the proven starters, you was getting people off the scrap heap. And we heard that time and time again, all throughout the season, every time one of those two pitches, uh, more often lot more often than not, both of those pitches were bomb in their outings. We heard that throughout the season. Now, we fast forward to now. This past offseason, I believe the Yankees did similar things. They they claimed um Kluber coming off, I think, arm injury, either shoulder or elbow. I'm not that familiar, so excuse me. And some other dude that supposedly was, I think he was coming off Tommy John surgery. So, these two pitches really haven't done the job so far this season. The Yankees are currently, I believe, 7-12, and 12, if I'm not mistaken. But they started out 5-10. and 10. They lost 10 of their first 15 games of this current season. The two, quote-unquote, prize pickups this offseason with two people that you can you could pretty much claim was claimed off the scrap heap. But yet, I don't hear that thing in the media about these shortcomings, about Brian Cashman's shortcomings. Because it's a it's a popular thing. It's an easy thing to 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 step on the Mets when they were down. But when the shoe is on the other foot and it's time to really look closely into what's going on with the Yankees, case in point, two to three years ago, Game 7, they made it to Game 7 of the American League Championship Series. Correct? Correct. Since that time, they have done nothing but decrease in the amount of success that they have had for each season. For those two seasons, they won 203 games combined in two seasons, yet didn't even sniff the World, the World Series. Last year, they got beat by a team with, I believe, less than half, less than even a quarter of the payroll and beat handily, tell you the truth. Why? Because it came down to pitching. If you think about it, look, 
The Yankees lineup, yeah, might be formidable, but they're also injury prone. Not only are they injury prone, they're also home and happy. So, in the playoffs, it's more optimal to put the ball in play. Get, get, get runners on base. Play small ball, if you will. Yankees have yet, have yet to adapt. You have Aaron Judge, and then on top of that, they, um, they are a quiet stand. For what reason? Who knows? Why? Now you're stuck with a DH for the next seven years making 30 to $35 million a year that you can't get rid of. You have Aaron Judge that's about to come up with a big contract at age 30, 31. Are you going to invest? What are you going to do? You, you invested all this money into the offense, but yet, but yet every year when it comes to the playoffs, you get outpitched, you get outmanaged, and you get outplayed. Point blank. But this year is the Mets time. We have the DeGrominator, the best pitcher walking this planet today. Bar none. Number one. I, sm I smell a, a, a Cy Young in the, in the future. And I really hope so because I got a big bet on Jacob getting that Cy Young. I mean, fuck around. He get that Cy Young. Y'all might not hear from me no more. No, I'm not. I'm just playing. It probably only be like a couple, couple hundred dollars or something like that. But regardless, shoot, might upgrade. Might actually put this shit on a computer and give you some sound effects. Either way, Brian Cashman has to be looked at. He he addressed the media this past week. He pretty much gave some crumbs to the masses. And that sufficed for now. Mr. Cashman, let me introduce myself. My name is first name Donnie, last name O. I am going to keep a real good, real good eye on you, real close eye on you. Make sure that you're held accountable. For your actions. As a Mets fan. Because. What's good for the goose. Has to be good for the gander. And this is the first step. Of the Mets takeover. Orange and blue. All through the city. I'm telling you. It's going to be a beautiful thing. So you keep it up. And um, keep on throwing crumbs to the masses. And I'm going to keep you accountable, boy. <laughs> but either way, um, enough about the Mets. Well, enough about the Yankees. More about the Mets. Um, you know, there's a close comparison that's been going through my mind. And Mets fans out there, let me uh, let me throw this up in the air. See how you um, see what you think about it. Michael Conforto. And this is strictly uh, trivial. The strictly, uh, I really don't know, but um, you know, work with me here. Michael Conforto 
Any longtime Mets fans remember Lee Mazzilli? I don't know. For some reason, I've been a Mets fan since like 1983. So, I think Joe, Joe Torre was the fucking... Oh, yeah, Joe Torre was... Anyway, George Bamberger, he was the manager. Anyway, Lee Mazzilli was always like a cult favorite to me. Anyway, because I was like six, seven... And um, I didn't realize what what was the big thing about Lee Mazzilli. I think he was um he was a New York born, so it was like his hometown team, and, you know, and is Mazzilli, you know, which go forget about it. So for some reason, him and Conforto kind of favor each other. I'm wondering, I'm like, I wonder Conforto, Mazzilli, you know, I mean, there has to be some type of family connection, but um. Conforto wants $200 million for his next contract. Or should I say his first real contract? Do you think he's worth it? I mean, I personally am a fan. I'm always a fan of keeping your homegrown talent. But $200 million, right right after you gave Lindor three hundred. And Philly? I don't know. I mean, what kind of trap? If you're going to give him the $200 million, that's strictly for potential. He's been good. He has been great. $200 million is a lot of money. Especially when you got DeGrom coming on. But my, by me saying all this and thinking about the figures, I just really forgot that we have a billionaire owner. A billionaire owner. I really forgot. So, yeah. You know, I mean, Conforto, you got, if you get that 200 mil, go ahead. You know, DeGrom going to have to get at least 200 mil. You know, and who else is left? You know, Dom. Dom, you know, he, pulled, he, he puts together a full 162-game season like he did last year. I can see Dom asking for 200 mil. You know, they better not shortchange Dom. You know, because we ain't going to play that up in here in New York. But, <laughs> yeah. Amazing Mets. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Come on down and meet the Mets. J. E. Picture hearing that with about 5,000 fans all spread out. Zach Wilson in the shotgun. He looks to his left. He sees Corey Davis. He looks to his right. He sees Denzel Mims. He looks to the middle. He sees Chris Herndon. He looks to the backfield. He sees absolutely no one. <laughs> Robert Sala doesn't believe in in running backs. <laughs> oh, Shalika Masalam. <laughs> so, um, mm, the New York Jets currently 
on the clock with the number two pick of this year's NFL draft. It's pretty much a foregone conclusion that they are going to pick Zach Wilson of BYU Brigham Young University from Provo, Utah. And uh, I was listening to an interview with John Beck, quarterback coach, quarterback trainer, uh, former quarterback from BYU. And he actually uh, kind of said something that reminded me that, wow, BYU is kind of a quarterback factory. I mean, you have Jim McMahon from back in the day. You have Steve Young, definitely. You have Ty Dittma. You have... Um, a lot of people. <laughs> you have Zach Wilson. Um, but just thinking of... Thinking of Jim McMahon, thinking of um, Steve Young, even Ty Dittma was the number one pick, I believe, but he was kind of a flame out. Um, but there, I remember back in the 80s when Steve Young was there and he used to light shit up. And then he went to the USFL, got the, I think he had like the $50 million contract. For some reason, I remember his contract at the time was one of the, Richest contracts in history at the time. Um, and then when the USFL folded, he went to the NFL and the rest was history. But um, what's really important for the New York Jets to consider going out, going into this draft, you have all these draft picks for the next two years. You have a lot of holes to fill over the next two years, or should I say the next year. Because you have to give your number two pick, your potential franchise quarterback, some resemblance of a chance to survive. You cannot throw him to the wolves like Sam Donald was thrown to the wolves. I will say this, because I'm going to, not to sound like a hypocrite, because I believe I'm not. I remember in the lead up to the draft of Sam Donald. I remember watching his pro day. His pro day was great. You know, technically. Technically. You know, technical wise, it was great. But I remember during his senior year. And I believe the Jets was in position at the time to pick him before they lost. They won some games toward the end of the season, and pretty much we get got bumped from first to third. And I remember he had gotten interviewed about going to New York, and I believe his response wasn't glowing. Um. It was more along the lines of, well, you know, that's not really my scene or, you know, uh, if I have to go, then that's, you know, that's where if the cards, if the cards are dealt that way, then that's what I'm going to have to do. He wasn't really enthusiastic. So seeing his demeanor, 
number one. Number two, the track record overall that USC quarterbacks have when coming into the NFL. Also, the track record that the Jets have with USC quarterbacks or Southern California quarterbacks coming to the New York Jets. I wasn't really keen on Sam Donald being the pick. Right around when the draft happened, I didn't really want Baker Mayfield. I, and I'm ashamed to say it at this time, I'm, I wanted Josh Rosen, UCLA. I, for some reason, I liked his moxie. Unfortunately, that never transitioned into the league, whether it was physically, whether it was mentally, whether it was uh, the maturity factor. I have no effing idea, but it just never transitioned. But that's who I wanted based on his attitude. So if Zach Wilson's attitude matches with his potential skill that he's shown in, in college, and hopefully that makes the transition into the league, then um, I'm willing to give the dude a chance. Do I want Justin Fields? I wouldn't be disappointed with Justin Fields. One of those two. Because the offensive system that they are supposed to be running is supposed to be similar to the San Francisco 49ers system, which where if you have a somewhat mobile quarterback and a quarterback that can deliver the ball accurately, and uh, they actually help the quarterback into simplifying the offense and cutting the field in half with a lot of bootlegs, a lot of rollouts. In that way that the quarterback doesn't have to have a lot of things on his plate. He doesn't have to overthink. He can read and react. Or should I say just react instead of having to try to decipher too many complicated schemes and and, and different and different um Receiver combinations and all that type of technical shit. But um, what the Jets need to do is fortify the offensive line. Get a serviceable running back. Definitely have to get a backup, backup quarter, um, back, yeah, definitely backup quarterback. Preferably a veteran quarterback. If not, get both. Um, and get cornerbacks. We, we, we have, we are in dying need of cornerbacks. Because if they plan on playing zone, which will help the cornerbacks that we do have that don't lack, well, that do lack the experience that's needed to really lock down some of the top flight receivers into the league, in the league. Regardless, we need some type of cornerbacks that are athletic, young, spry, hopefully injury free. So we can kind of develop the defense over, you know, over time and hopefully let it grow as a unit. But it's only April. It's only April. And uh, there's so much stuff that's been talked about with um, 
in regards to the draft, in regards to what the Jets are going to do or what the Jets have done, that um, there's, there's nothing really else to talk about until the draft. So, I'm not going to talk about the Jets until the draft. Yeah. Well, I'm going to talk about this versus real quick between Method Man and Red Man. Like, I was hyped when I first heard about it because I'm like, yo, Red Man, Method Man, they're going to go back and forth. Now, when I told the missus about it, she was like, that don't make no sense. I'm like, why? She's like, aren't they on the same group? I'm like, no, nah, not really. I mean, yes and no. And then I'm like, well, she got a point. But then I thought about, I'm like, well, Ghost and Ray, I thought at the same time, like, they're kind of the same. Like, they got so many, so many joints together. Like, if anything, Ray's going to have to pull from joints together. But Ghost got the catalog. So he's going to be able to throw the soul joints and the, and the soul joints and Okay, and then when I watched it, it was a beautiful thing. Now, with Red and Meth, I was like, all right. And then they was doing another 420, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be great. So I tuned in, and um, I always have to shoot job. And um, I'm watching it. And at first, I was like, okay, the vibe to me was a little bit off. Even though it was hype. It was just like, I wasn't expecting a concert. I thought they was going to go like back and forth. Like they were just probably going to be sitting in the chair and they was going to be blowing. And I thought that's how it was going to be. So when I saw the concert, like a concert, like, and they said like, yeah, we're going to be like, we're going to give you these hits and we're going to do our thing. We're not really going to be talking. We're just going to do these hits. And they was doing their thing. I mean, they was talking, you know, I mean, because it was red and meth. They had to. I mean, meth was looking all swollen and shit. Like, he was looking like The Rock. You know, and Red Man was looking veganish, you know, and <laughs> I mean, that's the best way I could describe it. And they were just rocking the stage and shit. And uh, I was like, okay. And then I started getting into it. And I'm like, yo, this shit is, this shit is moving. Then I start getting into it a little bit more. I'm like, yo, they really, now these dudes are like 50. Think about it. They're like 50. And what they were showing and proving was to me what a lot of the current acts could look and learn from and maybe incorporate and incorporate that work ethic into what they were doing um, and try to, cause they was really painted forward. They, they, they laid the track for everyone to follow. I mean that, that whole class, that whole, that whole group of MCs. That whole group of MCs from the late 80s to pretty much, I want to say the early 2000s. 
you know, the golden era and MCs. Not only did they have lyrics, not only did a good portion of them have lyrics with substance, they also knew how to showcase their talent. And I ain't going to bullshit y'all. Yeah, I continue this segment the following day because I'm quite sure and I'm not going to try to pull the wool over anybody's eyes I'm quite sure y'all can tell the difference of yeah like uh, yeah the, 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 the MC's back in the day to how I am now and I'm going to be perfectly honest this is exactly what the fuck happened like I said, this is the 50th episode, so, you know, I'm going to celebrate. And I think I celebrated a little bit, not so much too much, but too fast. Came home, I'm like, yo, all right, let me finish this podcast up, upload this shit on time, so I'm a man of my word, and yada, 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 yada. And uh, I told y'all in the previous segment. Yeah, I'm going to crack this bottle of Hennessy and, you know, continue to do the podcast. But this is where I made my big mistake. I'm a Hennessy privileged drinker. Because to me and quite a few other people in my age bracket, we know and we remember how regular Hennessy used to taste. Regular Hennessy used to taste like the privileged taste now. Almost, matter of fact, a good comp, a, a good um, comparison, and I haven't been able to get my hands on any in the last two years, is the white Hennessy. To me, the white Hennessy is equal or equivalent to the original Hennessy back in the 90s. Then I don't know what the hell they did over, over the last, I want to say last 10 years, Matter of fact, I'll even narrow it down to the last five. Regular Hennessy. I mean, it does its job. But it really tastes like crap. So, I kind of refrained. I'm like, you know what? I'll, I'll go on my beer. If anything, I, if, I had, if I had regular Hennessy, I would take a shot and then chase it with a beer. That's how I would do regular Hennessy. The privilege... I could drink that shit straight, probably drink a whole bottle and still stand on my head and be perfectly fine. Also, regular Hennessy back in the days never gave Donnie a, a hangover. Never gave me a headache. Never let my stomach get all fucked up. None of that. This Hennessy nowadays, when I say I poured me about the equivalent of four shots in a glass and I put a cube of ice in it. Because I already knew what to expect. And instead of like sipping, sipping, you know, take a sip, do a segment, take a sip, do a segment, you know, finish the fucking podcast and then finish it up. No, I kind of got carried away and I took a sip and then my mouth started getting dry and I took another sip and I took another sip and I took another sip. And then I got to the point that I was like, yo, I got to pause this podcast because the studio started spinning 
And I'm like, yo, I'm really going out like a young buck. I'm really going out like a novice. I'm really going out like a rookie. Then I realized, whoa, whoa, whoa. This ain't privilege. This is regular fucking Hennessy. And, um, yeah. So that's exactly what the hell happened. So I said, you know what? I'm going to put the podcast on pause. I'm not going to upload no bullshit. I'm not going to deprive the masses from what I promised in the intro. Um, You know, if I got to put this up a couple hours late, uh, trending toward a day late, so be it, as long as I give a quality podcast. And if I were to continue last night, either A, I probably would have said something I really shouldn't have said and just saved it and uploaded shit and got myself in trouble, or B, I would have been sounding like a purity alcoholic and that's not what I'm really, that's not what I'm trying, I'm aiming for. So I just said, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to pause this shit and just continue. So, like I was saying, the red and meth versus. So, what really got me into it actually was toward the end when they started, I believe they brought Inspector Deck out, they brought Riza out, they brought Capadonna out. That was from Meth side. Redman, he brought DJ DJ Cool. He brought EPMD. He brought out Keith Murray. And the surprise of all surprises to me, and this at one time was one of my favorite rappers in the world. Um my brother my brother Cool he can attest to this. My favorite rapper freshman year of high school was K Solo because Spellbound came out and you couldn't tell me shit. I had about, matter of fact, Spellbound came out and your mom's in my business came out. So I copped the tape. This one I was copping bootlegs down on Fulton. So I copped that and I copped LL. And then my K Solo tape kept on popping. So I kept on going down there and giving the bootleg man my $4. Because they wanted five, but I'm like, yo, I only got four. And what they're going to do? They're going to turn around. They're going to turn down $4. They took that shit. And I guess karma bit me in the ass. And um, it popped in my ass. So I went down there like at least three times in a month to get me a K-Solar tape. So K-Solar came out to do, um, it's like that. Yeah, yeah, that's that was the name of it. Pretty much the joint with him and Red off Muddy Waters. That was the shit. Then the whole hit squad came together to do a live version of Headbanger. I was in my glory. You couldn't tell me when I was, matter of fact, sophomore year. I used to listen to Barbito and Stretch. 89.9 on the FM dial. Anybody who's a hip-hop head, they know about Bobby Don't Stretch. So I used to listen to him. And I believe Headbanger, they were playing Headbanger maybe about a good two to three months before the shit came out for everybody. And Redman ripped that shit. Wicked with the style, you think I had cerebral palsy? When I rock a bar, baby. Yeah. So his verse on Headbanger, I used to go to my summer youth job and I would just be 
saying all his verses or a lot of verses from Bobito and Stretch. Everybody thought, yo, the dude blank, my name redacted, could spit. Until one dude, matter of fact, until Headbanger came out, he heard the verse and all the copious amounts of ass that I was planning on getting being a fake rapper, sophomore, sophomore junior high school for my summer youth, for my summer youth broads. This dude, I guess, wanted to cut my throat and get the senior broad that I was trying to pipe. And he pretty much was like, yo, that's that's Red Man. Yo, I thought you was spitting. Yo, all the, all the rhymes he was spitting all summer, yo, they wasn't even his rhymes. My thing is, I never said they were my rhymes. But I was saying, if y'all, if they assumed that it was my rhymes, then so be it. But that's that was on them. That wasn't on me. Anyway. So when they came out with Headbanger, I was at my shoe job and I'm like, yo, it's the Headbanger. What the Headbanger? What the Headbanger? What? Man, it was a great time. I mean, they went, I mean, they dug in the crates. They went, what they did that I actually appreciated, they started, they started the verses with a lot of um, popularly, popularly known songs. Then the hits, then the songs that they had together, and then they ended it with the beginning, with the songs from the beginning of the catalog, from the beginning of the career. And that's when I started getting into it. And um, a lot of what they said, because toward the end, you know, they which got did a tribute to DMX, did a tribute to Black Rob, and they were saying, don't wait until these people are gone to throw the flowers at them, show them their roses. Meth was like, yo, I want my roses right fucking now. Same thing with same thing, same thing with Red. And they were absolutely right. When a lot of people take life for granted, myself included. At a time in my life. I, I just, you know, a lot of people take the next day for granted. Let's just put it that way. And then when their loved one, their close friend, their relative pass away they regret all the things that they wanted to sh tell them all the things they all the all the love they wanted to show them they regret not doing that doing that while they were here in the present form to receive that and to appreciate that and that's was a lot of uh, that was the real gist of what they were saying toward the end of the verses verses when it went about three hours and like I told y'all last time, I had a little verse breakdown. Some of these verses, I might like one artist, might not like the other, or whatever. So a lot of times, I'm like, look, I'm not, I'm not devoting two and a half hours to watch two groups, two artists that I don't particularly care for. I might like some of this song, but not enough to watch. You know, look in front of, uh, look at a screen for like two and a half hours, and you know. So a lot of times I would just wait until the next day to the title list. I mean, to which go go on title, and then they would have a playlist of the verses. When I say I've been rocking the Meth and Red 
versus playlist for the last three nights. And the times that I do go in my little dark space, listening to that gives me a little bit of upliftment and just kind of momentarily pauses whatever thoughts I was thinking about or whatever feeling I was feeling at that time and kind of just uplifts the spirit. And that's what I've been doing. I believe the next one on deck is supposed to be Escape. You know, Candy, Tiny, and I never knew what the other broad name was. But yeah, Escape versus SWV. I'm sorry. I'm biased. SWV is going to blow the shit out of Escape. Blow them off the stage. To me. Because I kind of, my formative years in high school, SWV came out. You know? I like their first three albums. Did they even have a fourth? I don't remember. But I know they came out like 92, 93. Escape, one of the things I remember about them, or one of the songs I remember is one of the songs I used to hate back in late 94, 95, Understanding. If I heard that, it seemed like every time I turned on Hot 97, and this is right around the time Hot 97 became actually Hot 97. Every time I turned on Hot 97, I heard these three broads, all I need from you is understanding. I was like, why y'all begging this dude for some understanding? If he don't want to pipe y'all, then it is what it is. Go about the next person. Y'all from the ATL. Have some fucking respect for yourself. But yeah, that's how I felt. So I'm going to watch that one, time permitting, just to see exactly what what, slick, what tricks they might have with this leave. But I'll tell you this. SWV plays that song with Old Dirty Bastard from the Above the Rim soundtrack. It's a rap. Nobody's touching. Escape is not touching it. Escape's not touching right here. Escape's not touching use your heart and not your mind. Escape is not touching none of that. Escape is not touching um, that shit with uh, Missy from, from the third LP. Escape is not touching... Um, damn, I forgot the name of the song. But there was another track on the third LP with, with Redman. Lose Your Cool. Escape is not fucking with none of that. But I digress. Yeah. So, the Red and Meth versus, I really wish a lot of them would be like that. That They kind of follow the pattern of Ghost and Ray in my, in, my, in my mind because they were just, it was just, it's a piece of my childhood. I'll be 45 in August. So, summer of 94, 95, I was like 19. That was like prime, prime time for just wilding the fuck out, to be perfectly honest. You know, you experiment with whatever the fuck you experiment. You listen to your listen to your music and you just have a short time, short time, a short moment in time to just do you before 
life happens, before adulthood happens, before whatever responsibilities you end up having. And that was like, like I said, that was like prime time for me. So, yeah, that, that's basically, yeah, I wasn't going to go track for track because it really wasn't about that. It really wasn't about that. I mean, I will say this, though, before I, before I get out of here. Method Man, you, a lot of people would think has a bigger catalog than Red Man. Method Man might have been more popular than Red Man. Red Man has joints. And the fact of hearing him spit those joints, even the joints that I didn't particularly care for when they first came out, hearing him spit those joints in present day gave me more appreciation, gave me a new appreciation for Red Man that I already had. Red Man, I want to say, out of my top five, top five, top five, top five, Red Man it's number one for me. You know, I like, I mean, I like a lot of artists, but Red Man has always been my ultimate favorite. The way he blends humor with skill, he can get on the gangster shit, but he used to be able to get on the gangster shit. He would get on stoner shit. Red Man was like the best. The only, I want to believe, I, I believe the only LP of Red Man's that I neglected to ever listen to was the Reggie. Because that shit was pure Reggie. <laughs> I mean, when I heard Red Man order to, and I was like, I can't fuck with this. But that was the only slip up. And even then, that was what? Damn near 20 years in the game. When he had that slip up. So, you know, it is what it is. But um, salute the Red, salute the Meth, salute to the Hit Squad, salute to the Death Squad, salute to the Wu, salute to all of those bros. Now, last but not least, I promised a WrestleMania recap, and God darn it, y'all gonna get a WrestleMania recap, even though it's about two weeks late. I ain't gonna go match for match because we're kind of too far out from WrestleMania to go match for match. I'm just going to tell you my thoughts on them. And my thoughts are as follows. The best match of both both nights emotionally would be the Sasha Banks Bianca Belair match where Bianca beat Sasha to become the new WWE Smackdown Women's Champion. The amount of history. The first time two black women headlined a WrestleMania card. I'll go one further. The first time two black people, regardless of gender, Headline a WrestleMania card, and they delivered in spades. The beginning of the match where they both locked eyes and they took in the atmosphere, and they Bianca was starting to cry, Sasha was about to cry. She gave Bianca that look like, I right, 
this history in the making, and we're going to prove any of the doubters fucking wrong. And that's exactly what they did. The second night, the triple threat with uh, Roman and Daniel Bryan and Edge was almost a, was was pretty much a masterpiece. And I will say this: it ended with Roman Reigns on top, which was kind of to be expected. Even though I actually thought that they were going to let Daniel Bryan win or Edge win without Roman getting pinned. But the ending where Roman Reigns pinned both Edge and Daniel Bryan by stacking them on top of each other and pinning them in unison made me rethink what I thought was going to happen. Like I said, I thought they were going to give it to Daniel Bryan, Daniel Bryan and Edge. They would feud. Edge would beat Daniel Bryan. And then you go into SummerSlam with Edge and Roman Reigns one-on-one. Roman Reigns regains his title. And then he makes his march toward WrestleMania 37, 38 to go against his cousin, The Rock. But by them allowing, or matter of fact, by them booking Roman Reigns to simultaneously pin both Daniel Bryan and Edge at the same time, and then you look at the roster and you realize there's only two people on the SmackDown roster that possibly can be ready for a match with Roman, and that would be Cesaro. That would be Big E. When you look at it that way, and then you take into account how many years Vince McMahon was trying to get Roman to be the guy, the man, the big dog, then it shouldn't actually surprise me that WrestleMania ended the way it did. Because for the first time, in about six years, the WWE, i.e. Vince McMahon, can do exactly what they've always wanted to do without fear of fan backlash. And that is to make Roman the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars of the WWE universe. Everything and everyone revolves around him and he is champion for as long as he wants. Pretty much, he's getting the Brock treatment. Remember when Brock was champion for like a year and a half? And he was hardly ever around? Only difference is, Roman's around every week. He doesn't wrestle every week, nor should he. But he's around every week. And he's showing the dominance that Brock did. And if he gets booed or the fans get pissed off and, you know... View their hate toward him. Guess what? He's doing his job because he's a fucking heel. So, with that and my booking mind recalibrated, this made me realize, like, yo, Roman ain't losing no time soon. 
I don't think Roman is losing for the rest of the year. Next week on SmackDown, Roman Reigns defends his universal title against Daniel Bryan with the stipulation that if Daniel loses, which more likely he will lose, that Daniel Bryan must leave SmackDown. Or as Roman said, you would get off my show. I don't ever want to see you around here again because you're a loser. Not only are you a loser, you're a main event loser. Not only are you a main event loser, you're bottom. Right, Daniel? Dan, you, you like being on the bottom, don't you? That's what Roman said. Roman been spitting his shit. And I'm all for it. For real. But yeah, Roman ain't losing no time soon. And even when they get... Because you need to make him the biggest star you possibly can to go against his cousin, The Rock, who's going to be coming back at damn near 50 years old. But he's going to be coming back to put the ultimate cap on the whole Roman Reigns situation. On the whole tribal chief storyline. Everybody thought, oh, you got main event Uso. You got Jay Uso. And his twin brother's going to come back from injury. And that's going to be one of the culminations of this. No, 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 no. You do not divert from this storyline for Jimmy Uso. I'm sorry. You don't. Jimmy will fall in line like everybody else has. The only goal is to make Roman the ultimate guy to go against The Rock. That, for, for that reason and that reason only. Now, I will say, backtracking, going, to a, going back to a WrestleMania weekend... On paper, night two looked way better than night one. But in reality, night one blew night two out the water. In the ring rise, spont uh, which got the spontaneity that needed to be done due to the first ever rain delay in WrestleMania history. All those factored into my belief that night one blew night two out the water. Plus, the amount of talent they had on night two didn't equal the amount of time that they gave said talent to display said talent. You had Sammy, Sammy Zayn and Kevin Owens on the WrestleMania stage. That got eight minutes. You had Cesaro. No, no. You had Sheamus and Matt Riddle for the U.S. title. They got... Less than 10 minutes, even though there was a damn good 10 minutes. In ring wise, besides the main event for the undercard, that was the best match. Of course, the main event went a half hour, which it should have. But the world, well, the women's tag team match between Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler versus Tamina and Natalia went 15 minutes. You mean to tell me? You really needed 15 minutes? Maybe they extended it because of the groundswell of support that Tamina got WrestleMania weekend, which I have no idea. Like, 
Tamina's been in the company for like 10 years. And now all of a sudden they decide to back Tamina. Tamina's always gotten pushes. But he's all, she's always gotten pushes at the heel. And tell you the truth, I think, I believe she was supposed to be a heel in this situation. But the groundswell support that she received WrestleMania weekend kind of propelled her, or should I say propelled, the the we <laughs> to um, extend their push. Meanwhile, you got the riot squad doing nothing. You got Mandy and Dana, which I don't even know why they're a fucking tag team. Uh, who else do you have? You have Naomi and Lana. You have a whole bunch of nondescript fucking tag teams. Which makes no sense. But, um, but I really feel like the momentum is behind Natalya and Tamina being your new tag team champions of WWE in the women's division. Which, I have no idea why. I have no idea why. I have no idea why. But um, yeah, that's my truncated. And once again, that's going to be the word for the week. Truncate. That's my truncated WrestleMania recap because Chef Mix decided he didn't feel like doing a recap, I guess. Or he wasn't in the mood or he didn't have time or I just didn't catch him at the right time or being the fact that I'm nowhere near home right now as I'm doing this segment and I'm already behind on uploading said segment uh, Chef Mix just missed out but it is what it is so yeah there you go WrestleMania recap <laughs> well people that brings us finally to the end of my 50th episode my 50th edition of the Salty Door to Donnie Oo podcast Man, a three-day session with mad breaks in between. But, as long-time listeners know, y'all already know how Donnie gives it up, and I know already know how Donnie gets down. So, that's part of my charm. That's what I do. That's what this is. Um, Before I get out of here, I want to thank each and every one of y'all that have listened to my crazy ass for the last 50 episodes. I like to thank my family who have supported me in this little endeavor. Um, I never thought that I actually would do 50 episodes. So congrats to me. Yay for me. Um, also, people who know me like really intimately know me probably figured or probably was like uh yo donnie doing a podcast yeah doing a podcast i did a podcast i've done a podcast but getting back to the point that i was trying to make the reason i started doing this podcast for was for two reasons one i have a lot of thoughts that I went to share with the masses, with the world, anonymously. Yeah, that's the key, anonymously. Cause I've been, th I've been thinking whether or not I was gonna actually do a YouTube or whatever. Nah, fuck that. You know, those who know me know me. Those who don't know my voice, and I think that's the way I'm gonna keep it. 
So even if I do do YouTube, ain't going to be no video. You know? Plus, the reason I did a podcast besides sharing my thoughts with the masses is because, little known fact about me, I like to talk a lot. And people have actually who have actually had a conversation with me haven't realized that in reality, I've been giving them a one-man podcast all these years because usually a conversation deals with one person talking, the other person's listening, and then the next person talks while the person that was talking listens. Unfortunately, with my conversations, it's usually me talk, 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 and the person listen, 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 listen. So I figured after all these years of me and me talking, 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 I just said, you know, fuck it. Let me just find out a way to uh, record all my thoughts, record me talking, and actually better this way because I don't have to get interrupted. Or should I say, I won't get interrupted. And it's not considered rude to actually have a podcast where you talk all by yourself. It is considered rude when you're having a conversation and you dominate about 95% of the conversation. But it is what it is. So, 50 episodes of the Salty Thoughts of Donnie Ooh. Wow. Probably would have been more if I wouldn't have took like a three-month break at the onset of this pandemic. But at that time, I think I had more important things to worry about than recording a podcast. I had to make sure the family's all intact. Um, you know, I had to make sure I was intact. I was healthy. And all the other bullshit. So... You know, it probably would have been up to like maybe 60 because I do these shits weekly, more or less. So you times that. And if you did it weekly for a year, that would have been 52 episodes. And I'm going, I think in June would be two years. So I, technically I should have been going on 104 episodes, but I'm here at 50. So I wonder what the next 50 is going to bring. Who the fuck knows? But I'm quite sure the more and more, the more that I do these things, the more professional I might be. Nah, professional. Fuck. If I was looking into doing a professional podcast, I probably wouldn't be doing it. I do this because it's convenient. I do it because I actually think I love doing it. Wow. Let me get the plugs out the way. Check out the homies at Black Wrestling. At the Black Wrestling Podcast. Cal. Math. Ilfam. And Drip. Check those homies out. They're available every place that I'm available at. Except they're actually available on YouTube. And guarantee the only way you'll get the full experience of the Black Wrestling Podcast it's a check the YouTube. I like to also give a plug or give a shout out or whatever the hell you want to call it to me. Yeah, me. And why am I giving a plug out to me? Because check teespring.com slash world of Donnie Ooh. Teespring.com slash salty door to Donnie Ooh. Where all you where you can get all your salty door to Donnie Ooh merch. In about a week. Probably next episode, I will announce 
having a sale for the summer, you know, and um, I like to appreciate everybody who has actually purchased merch. Your contributions to my household are greatly appreciated. Your contributions to just spreading the word, or spreading the thoughts of salty. Yeah, all of that is much appreciated. What other things should I talk about? What other things should I say? Damn. Like I said, my memory's gotten... Oh, my God, my memory. Um. Also, check out easytree.me slash world of Donnie U for everything Donnie U. The podcast that you're listening to right now can be found on that web, pa- that web page. The link to teespring.com can be found at that web page. And if you scroll all the way to the bottom... You'll have two other links with Donnie U Music. Donnie U Music. Donnie U, Donnie Child. All that good shit on SoundCloud. You know, whatever I put out during my illustrious career, which I didn't get paid a dime for, it's on SoundCloud. Check it out. Because I probably ain't going to be making no more music for the foreseeable future. Why? Just kind of lost the vibe of it. So I figured I'd that energy that I was putting into my music and devote more energy into the podcast, you know, but neither here, there. And, uh, I also would like to express deepest condolences to the family of shock G other, otherwise known as Humpty hump. He has, he did pass away, I believe on Thursday, uh, uh, Shock G, lead man of Digital Underground, whose hits include Same Song, I Get Around, Humpty Dance. Check out their first LP slash CD slash album, Sex Packets. Classic, classic. Oh, how can I forget? Do what you like. Man, I wish I could do what I like, but, you know, there's rules and shit. There's laws and shit. So, I just try to fit in where I get in where I fit in. But um, before I got into that, I'd like to give my last shout out to my, du- to my two grandchildren. Jameer and Zaire. Pop Pop Loves You. Uh, if you hear this in about 10 to 15 years, when you have your ears are more mature, you can hear my voice on the airwaves telling y'all to, y'all special to, Pop Pop loves y'all. And if I haven't mentioned it in bef- before and in the past, I'm going to mention it again now. That little voice you hear at the end of all my podcasts, that's the voice of my five-year-old grandson, Jameer, or... How we lovingly call him Mimir. Yeah. So that's that. I will check y'all next week. Hopefully, y'all will check me out next week. And I continue to be the podcast y'all choose to listen to, or at least one of them. So, peace from the Middle East. Goodbye. Bye.
you're doing Cause I'm about to ruin the image and the style that you're used to I look funny, but yo, I'm making money, see So yo, world, I hope you're ready for me Now gather round, I'm the new fool in town And my sound's laid down by the underground I drink a bottle of Hennessy you got on your shelf So just let me introduce myself My name is Humpty, pronounced with the Humpty Yo, ladies, oh, how I like to funk thee And all the rappers in the top ten Please allow me to bump thee I'm stepping tall, y'all And just like Humpty Dumpty You're gonna fall when the stereos pump me I like to rhyme, I like my beats funky I'm spunky, I like my oatmeal lumpy I'm sick with this Straight gangster Mac But sometimes I get ridiculous I'll eat up all your crackers and your licorice Oh, yo, fat girl Come here, are you ticklish? Yeah, I called you fat Look at me, I'm skinny It never stopped me from getting busy I'm a freak I like the girls with the boom I once got busy in a Burger King bathroom I'm crazy Allow me to amaze thee They say I'm ugly, but it just don't faze me I'm still getting in the girls' pants And I even got my own dance Humpty nose will tickle your rear, my nose is big Uh-uh, I'm not ashamed, big like a pickle I'm still getting paid, I get laid by the ladies You know I'm in charge, both how I'm living And my nose is large, I get stupid I shoot an arrow like Cupid I use a word that don't mean nothing, like looped it I sang on do what you like, and if you missed it I'm the one who said just grab them in the biscuits Also told you that I like to bite Well yeah, I guess it's obvious, I also like to write All you had to do was give Humpty a chance And now I'm gonna do my dance The Humpty Dance Myself. Let me tell you a little bit about this dance. It's real easy to do. Check it out. First I limp to the side like my legs was broken. Shaking and twitching, kinda like I was smoking. Crazy whack funky. People say you look like MC Hammer on crack, Humpty. That's alright, cause my body's in motion. It's supposed to look like a fit or a convulsion. Anyone can play this game. This is my dance, y'all. Humpty Hump's my name. No two people will do it the same. You got it down when you appear to be in pain. Humping, funkin', jumping, gig around, shaking your rump. And when a doo-doo chump punk points a finger like a stunt, tell him step off. I'm doing the hump. The Humpty Dance is your chance to do the hump. Everybody. Do the Humpty Hump. 
and the underground is in the house. I'd like to send a shout out to the whole world. Keep on doing the Humpty Dance. And to all the ladies, peace and humpiness forever. Taking it from the top. Tippy. Sing it, Daddy. Yeah. Hey. Uh -huh. uh -huh. uh -huh. Take my mind like a mushroom and cow shit. And I'm taking it just to get the ultimate high, baby. The ultimate high. Excuse me as I kiss the sky Fingers on the sixpence, a pocket full of rye Who the fuck on the die for they culture? Dork the dead body like a vulture The Calian, hmm, blacker than your blackest stallion Hit your housing, projects I represent your challenge My nigga, how oh, yes, apocalypse now The gunpowder be going down, diggy diggy down, diggy down, down While the planets and the stars and the moons collapse When I raise my trigger finger, all y'all niggas hit the deck Cause ain't no need for that, hustlers and hardcore Roar to the floor Roar like reservoir dogs The green eye bandit can't stand it With more fruity and loops than that two can't sand bitch Plus, the Babazi got me wide Fucking with us It's a straight suicide 2987654 murder, one lyric at your door Take out, bring it to that ass roar Breaking all the rules like glass jaws Nigga, you got to get mine to get yours Fucker, we don't need no rap tour I'd rather kick the facts and catch you with the rap chore More than you bargain for the cow that stays open like an all-night store We're rare like you said ill like a piece of blue steel Pointed at your temper with the intent to kill And in your existence M.E.T. ain't no use for resistance H.O.D. I beat the ultimate rush to any nigga on dust The Egyptian must used to have me pull mad sluts I shift like a clutch with the ruck Examine my nuts, I don't stop till I get enough Your shit broke down, light your flares Since the dark side tears you into Hollywood squares Six million ways to die, so I chose Made it six million and one with your eyes closed And blindfold cold so you can feel the wrath And shatter the glass in second half on your funky ass And you're my man, hit me now Bitches used to play me, now they can't forget me now Forget me not, I rock the spot, check clock Empty off a licking off in hip-hop 
Fuck the billboard, I'm a bullet on my block How you know when you pay for your billboard spot? Look up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane It's the folk doctor spot, smoking Buddha on the train How high? So how did I can kiss the sky? How sexy? So sick that you can suck my dick Look up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane Freaking out Johnny Blaze, ain't a damn thing changed How high? So how I can kiss the sky? How sick? So sick that you can suck my dick So my man Raider Ruckus come home It ain't really on to the Ruckus Get home, puff a meth bone Now we're off to the red zone We don't need your dirt, we, we got our fucking own Check it, I wreak havoc with my hectic Bring the pain, lyrics screaming for the interceptor Moving on your left kid, and the method Out my fucking dome, peace Plus I got no love for the beast Hailing from the big east coast Where niggas pack toast Home of the drug kingpin and cut Hey boy, you the rude boy on the block You tried to stop the bum rush, you will get popped I'm running around with a racist my style was born in the busy staircases Dig it, F a rap critic He talk about it while I lived it If Red got the blunt, I'm the second one to hit Look up in there, I got the verb nows and glocks in ya Into the center, lyrics bang like Ricker Shade rabbit, I bring habit with an AK-matic Rolling blunts and all day habit I get it all like Smith and West Who clicks the best? Punks take a sip and test Who splits your best? The fuck phenomenon I'm bombing you like Lebanon Blow canals at Panama just off stamina Stop not to be fucked with or played with Fuck them pretty hoes, I love those section A bitches Hitting snitches, twisting wigs with That radical mathematical type scriptures I dig up in your planets like digger Boo, scared you, blew you to smithereens Fuck the marines, I got machines That like to spit and read mad magazines I fly more heads than continental Wreck you five times like US Air off an instrumental Look, I'm not a halfway crook with bad looks But I make murder your case like your name is Cal Brooks I break some off proper, ask Piggy Smalls who shot ya Fuck doctor with the 12 gauge my spur. Look, I got the tools like Rickle to make your mind tickle For the nine nickel Punk ass pussy ass You ain't got to say no more, man That's sick, man We out It's so